0: Welcome, so good to, to see you guys uh, today. Uh, we're going to, I wanted to, to pray for the fathers before we start in our series again. Um, but before that, I wanted to talk about next week. So next week is our, kind of our grand reopening as things are starting to open up again. The July 15th date is passed and so we wanted to do that here at church as well. So we're going to have like a grand reopening. We've been open this whole time, but having a grand reopening, so I really want to encourage you to come out, and also consider inviting somebody. So, inviting somebody out to come join you together, to come to church together. Uh, next Sunday, as Eliza had mentioned, we're going to have a new time, 1230, and uh, we're not going to be having the live stream anymore. We'll still record the service, but I encourage you to come out and think about who the Lord might put on your heart so to come and invite uh, next Sunday to our grand opening. Well, uh, today is Father's Day. And uh, I wanted to recognize uh, the people that are here, are watching, that are fathers, and so I wanted for us to just spend a little moment just uh, to pray for them. So why don't you join me? Father, we want to pray for the fathers, and uh, I pray that you would be with them in a special way today. I pray for a blessing upon all the dads. I pray that you'd be watching over them i think sometimes dads get overshadowed by moms and so i just pray especially on this day that we would highlight the dads highlight all the things that you do that go unseen and then sometimes unrecognized or maybe unappreciated that you'd receive as a father receive from your heavenly father today that you would receive a special blessing and anointing Uh, from God today to enable you and empower you to be the man and the father that God created you to be. And for all of us, uh, sons and daughters of our fathers, I pray that you would uh, give us that uh, blessing today too to pass on to our dads. And for all those whose dads have passed away, I pray that God would especially be with you also today. To minister to your hearts i know that father's day is a difficult day for for those and so i pray that you administer to everyone who has lost their earthly father but i pray that they would receive you today lord as their heavenly father and to recognize that this uh today so thanks we pray all these things in jesus name amen well it's interesting this morning i was uh, doing my prayer walk as i usually do every morning And I was praying to God, and I was saying, Happy Father's Day to God. So we want to wish God a happy Father's Day as our Heavenly Father. And so I was talking to God, and I asked the Lord, what do you want for Father's Day? So I wanted to bless the Lord on Father's Day. So I asked him that question, Lord, what do you want for Father's Day? And so he said, I want you to give me your heart. And so I said, Lord, you already have my heart, (laughs) right? (laughs) And then he said, no. I want you to give me my heart so I can enjoy it today. Let's enjoy that today. So um, I did that. I was praying and I was giving the Lord my heart this morning. And was I was doing that, I really felt like the Father wanted us to have that message here today. And so before we go into our Philippians series, I really want you to enjoy your Heavenly Father today. Uh, that He knows you, that He knows your heart, and that He wants to receive your heart um, today. So, on this Father's Day, I pray that we can keep that in our, in our minds and our hearts as well. Well, we wanted to spend the rest of today, we wanted to go through, we're continuing going through the book of Philippians. Uh, Joy at all times. Okay, so we're going to start on chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses uh, 1 through 11 today. So let's start in verses 1 and 2. So let's read that. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 we can have that up on the screen yeah so so therefore if there's any encouragement in christ if there is any consolation of love if there is any fellowship of the spirit if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind maintaining the same love united in spirit intent on one purpose okay so Paul talks about, he's giving encouragement for the church and saying, if there's been any encouragement that you've received, if there's any consolation of love you've received, if you've had any fellowship together, if you've had any joy and affection of the Spirit together, be united together. And then he says, if you have this, you'll make my joy complete. Okay, so there's a couple things you want to recognize in this first two verses of chapter two. First is that Paul is already joyful. He says, make my joy complete complete okay he already has joy this is going to add more to his joy okay so we want to recognize this because the subtitle of uh, our series going through philippians is joy at all times and we want to say that because we want to recognize the context of this passage where is paul writing from he's writing from prison okay he's in prison right now yet in every chapter he talks about joy last chapter in chapter one he talked about joy is talking about joy and he is talking about the joy that he had because even though he's in prison the gospel is still being preached he's preaching to the guards that are chained next to him people are being motivated to preach the gospel because he's in prison so he felt joy from his circumstance joy despite his circumstance we see here in chapter two he's talking about joy again he's talking about having joy because other people are being united that the body is being one together that they're experiencing christ together and that's giving him more joy okay so when we talk about joy I think it's important to understand what Paul is talking about when he mentions joy. Okay, so joy is different from happiness. Do you know the difference? What's the difference between joy and happiness? Are they the same? Well, a lot of people use it synonymously, right? They say joy and they say happiness in the same sense. They think it's the same thing, but it's not. Okay, joy and happiness are related, but they're different. Okay, and a little illustration that I like to use is like, it's the difference between a Thermometer and a thermostat. Okay, it's the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. If you have a thermometer, what do you do? You stick it in your mouth, or now they have the ones over your forehead or stick it in your ear or whatever, right? So they have a thermometer. What does the thermometer do? The thermometer reads its surroundings. Okay? It reads the temperature in its surroundings. So whatever happens in its surroundings, that's what it reads. So, if its surroundings are really hot, you'll get a high reading on the thermometer. If its surrounding is really cold, you're going to get a really low reading on the thermometer. And if the temperature changes around it, the thermometer is going to change. If it gets hotter, it's going to go up. If it gets colder, it's going to go down. Whatever's happening around it, that's what determines the temperature on the thermometer. Okay? That's like happiness. Happiness is very conditional upon what our circumstances are going on we're going through. If our circumstances are going great, we feel happy. If our circumstances are going bad or if they're feeling lousy, we don't feel happy. It's just like a the thermometer. It's really dictated by what's happening around you. What's happening in the atmosphere, what's happening in your circumstances. That's happiness. It's more like a thermometer. A thermostat is different from a thermometer. You know a thermostat, one on the wall that controls your air conditioning or your heater? You have the nest or whatever you have in your house, right? It's different. You set it to what temperature you want it to be. And if the temperature goes up, what happens? Then the air conditioner starts coming on and makes it go back to the temperature you set it on. If it starts getting colder, the heater starts coming on and keeps it at that temperature, right? So... That's different from the thermometer, that whatever's happening outside is going to change what you're feeling on the inside. Thermostat's different. It's set. Even if it starts getting hotter, even if it starts getting colder, even if your circumstances are changing, you're still at the same temperature. And that's joy. Joy is undeterred by your circumstances. It's set like the thermometer right? That's the joy. That's what the Lord wants us to have, is joy. Does joy bring happiness? It does, right? But joy is more complete. Joy is more stable. Joy is more secure. Joy is what we can depend upon. Joy is what Paul is talking about in chapter 1 and here again in chapter 2. This is what he has. He says, I have joy. It's interesting. I heard something, uh, a pastor this week, talk about joy. And he said, you can measure how strong you are, your strength, by how much joy you have. And I thought, that's kind of an interesting statement that he made, that he was talking about joy, and he was, really, I think he was getting from this passage here in Nehemiah. Okay, Nehemiah, the second half of verse 10 says, do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Okay, so you may have heard this. Uh, talked about you may have like quoted this verse in nehemiah chapter 8 the joy of the lord is our strength you even sing songs about this joy of the lord being our strength but really do we really believe this is this really true in our own lives that we feel like our strength comes from our joy do we feel like the measure of how much strength we have to, to go through life, how much strength we have to endure problems, how much strength we have to go through this life and all the things that it brings is determined by our joy? I don't know about you. That's not the first thing that comes to mind when I think about my strength is my joy. But that's exactly what this passage talks about. And this makes more sense is that we can be strong at all times if it's like a thermostat and like, not like a thermometer. Right? If we're not constantly being swayed back and forth by what's happening, when we're feeling good physically, then we feel good and we feel energized and we're ready to tackle things. But if we're not, we can't handle things. If emotionally we're feeling good and we're feeling happy, then we can tackle everything and everything seems easier. But if we're not, then we feel depressed. We don't feel like we can get out of bed. We have no strength. Right? But we don't want to be a Thermometer, I mean, we don't want to be a thermometer, yes. We want to be a thermostat. We want to have joy. And if we have joy, then we can have strength at all times. If it's true that the joy of the Lord is our strength, then we can have strength at all times, regardless of our circumstances. We can have the strength that the Lord wants to provide for us, and it's through joy. It's something that we need to take more seriously. I think it's something, especially the past, you know, 18 months or so or 16 months or so, that it's been lacking joy. Instead, it's been fear. Instead, it's been discouragement. Instead, it's been wrestling. Instead, it's been all these other things that have really been the focus, but not joy. And I feel like that's one of the reasons the Lord put this book on my heart to go through, uh, going through the book of Philippians, because it talks about Joy. And it puts joy in the right perspective and saying, we need to have more joy. And sometimes you need to give yourself permission to have joy. Because sometimes we just think about it as happiness. We think when our circumstances are going bad, we shouldn't feel good. We shouldn't feel joyful. But that's the very definition. That's what sets joy apart from happiness, is when things are going badly. Is when we don't feel good. When we don't think things are going right, that's when we need this type of joy, the joy of the Lord. It's not any joy, it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And this is what we need more. This is what I need more. And so even this week, I've been praying help me to focus in on being more joyful. Doesn't matter what's happening. You know, even this past week, things were happening in my family and some health concerns and some different things going on. And I said, Lord, I need your joy because the joy of the Lord is my strength. I need more joy. Give me your joy. Give me your perspective. Help me to be a thermostat and not a thermometer. Help me to have joy. And so I really want us to, to see as we go through the book of Philippians just how much God uh, Paul focuses in on this topic of joy, to have joy at all times. Okay, so Paul continues in verse 3. So After the first admonition, verses 1 and 2, he says, Do nothing from selfish or, selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Okay, so let's stop here. So when we look at this section, he's talking about uh, humility. And he's saying, don't be selfish. Don't be conceited. You need to have humility. And he's giving the definition of humility and saying, do not merely look out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Okay, so there's a couple things that I want to mention here. Okay, so first, we want to recognize and I think there's actually going to be several things we want to recognize. We have the wrong view of humility. Okay? And I want to address that this morning. I want us to correct our view of what humility is. Okay? So we have a clue of that here in this verse. Okay? So in verse four, Paul talks about that humility is not just forgetting about yourself, right? He, look at what he says. He says, do not merely look out for your own interests, which means what? Which means you're still thinking about your interests. But also for the interests of others it's not an either or it's a both and with humility right you can have your own concerns and your own interests in mind with humility but we'll talk about what that looks like in a second and the interests of others it's not either or it's like humility sometimes we think i i'm not going to look at me at all i'm only going to look at other people okay that's not what paul's talking about in verse four Okay? But we're going to talk about what that looks like in a second. Okay? So that's the first thing we want to recognize. It doesn't mean that you have to discard all of your needs, all of your interests, all of the things that are important to you. That's not, that's not a requirement, humility. Okay? Let's look at this next section. It says, Have this attitude in yourself which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay? So he's giving us an example. He talked about humility and then he gave a little definition. Now he says, let me give you an example. Look at Jesus. He says, have this same attitude in yourself which is also in Christ Jesus. Okay? Who, is all, who existed in the form of God but did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. So we talked about this passage, right? We talked about this as being the kenosis passage, right? Kenosis means emptying. Right? So we talked about this before saying that Jesus was actually fully God. Okay? But when he's, when the, this verse describes, it says, equality with God, not something to be grasped. That word grasped meant utilized, right? So even though he was fully God, he didn't utilize all of those things. He lived his life as we would. He lived his life with the Holy Spirit. He lived his life empowered by the Father. He lived his life like John 5:19. Everything that he saw the Father doing, that's what he was doing. Just like we would do the same thing. Okay, this verse is very important when we look at the life of Jesus and thinking we need to live like Jesus because that's how we live. He had all those powers at any time, right? He had omniscient. He had omnipresence. He had omnipotence. He had all of the omnis, all the everythings, right? He had all of those things at all times. But according to this verse, he didn't utilize this for his own advantage. Okay, he could have at any time, right? But he did it. He chose to be an example for us. That's why Paul can say this. Use Christ as your example. Have the same attitude that Jesus did. He experienced life the way we're supposed to experience life. Okay, so we start with this. Then in the next section he says, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, so this is the example that Paul wants to use. He talked about not being selfish and being conceited, but being humble instead. And then he says, "Look at Jesus. He humbled himself. He humbled himself to the point of becoming like a servant, to the become of becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, so when we look at Jesus' example, um, this, this is something for us to kind of consider. So, one of the things I think that we have a problem with humility is we have a wrong view of humility. Okay, so let me share my view that I grew up with uh, in church. Okay, so humble means that you say you're nothing, right? So, if somebody says you're great or gives you praise or gives you a compliment, what are you supposed to say to that person? No, 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 I'm nothing. I'm nothing. It's all God. It's all God. okay that's probably true it probably it is all god but does that mean that you're non-existent right is that what true humility is to say that you're nothing okay this is why it's really important that paul uses jesus as an example does jesus view himself that way would jesus say that he's nothing or does he recognize who he really is does he call himself the son of god does he call himself the son of man? Does he call, recognize who he really is? Who, in reality, what God made him to be? We have this false idea of humility, that humility is putting ourselves down, that humility is self-deprecating, that humility is thinking less of yourself. Humility is saying that you're nothing, that you're no one that you're the dirt, that's humble, that when you're crawling around in the dirt, that's the person that's humble, right? That's the idea we have of humility, The people like grounding around in the dirt with their faces in the sand, that person's really humble. So I think we need to have a different idea. And true humility is not thinking less of yourself. True humility is thinking of yourself less. Okay, let me say that again. True humility is not thinking less of yourself, True humility is thinking of yourself less often. Okay, that's true humility. And how do we experience true humility? True humility can't become from this place where you're thinking about your nothing. Because that person's insecure, right? That person is always thinking about who? Themselves. If you're always thinking that you're nothing, if you're always thinking about that you're dirt, if you always have that view of yourself, if you always have that attitude and think about that's who you identify with, then guess what? You're always going to be insecure. You're never going to feel secure. You're always going to be looking at yourself. You can never really truly be humble. Because what did Paul say is about humility is, you don't always look at yourself, but you also look at the interests of others. You can't do that unless you have true humility. Where does true humility come from? Well, it's the opposite. If the false humility makes you completely insecure, where you're always having to look at yourself and always having to look only at yourself, then true humility is the opposite, where you feel very secure in who you are. You have the right view of who you are. You view yourself the way God views you. You see yourself being in Christ, and you're saying that that person is amazing. That person has gifts and talents. That person has the Holy Spirit. That person has a high calling. That person is who we are in Christ. You need to see yourself like that so you can be secure, so you don't have to stop thinking about yourself. You need to see God has me. He has my life. He gives me security. He gives me the the foundation that I have. He makes me strong. He gives me joy. So I don't need to keep thinking about myself. I can think about other people. I can be like Jesus says, where I can just be a servant and I can be in that role because he's taken care of. He feels fine. He feels secure. He has a father who loves him, who knows all things, who is in control of all things. He has a father who knows his heart and all his desires and all of his interests. And he sees the father always takes care of those things and looks after those things that he doesn't have to. So where does that leave him? Now I can look at the interests of others. I can see what they need because God is already taking care of my need. Where does that come from? true humility biblical humility not the humility that we've come to learn unfortunately through the church a false humility okay and i think the false humility really comes it comes from a good heart actually right and the reason we have this false humility is because we want to guard ourselves against pride right isn't that the biggest issue Right? You don't want to be boastful and prideful and to say that I'm all that, and and that's that's not what the Christian should be, right? And I agree with that. We shouldn't be prideful, right? But I think the issue is where is our identity come from? So if you have a good sense of identity, where is it coming from? It's coming from being in Christ. And that's the difference. Who I am is amazing, who I am is awesome but who I am is in Christ. It's what we looked at in the previous chapter in Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ. So when I'm looking at my life, I'm living Christ's life. I have his characteristics. I have his DNA. I have all of his spirit working through me. So when I look at my life and say that that's good, because he's good. Right? And I know that everything that I have that's good is because I have him. Because I'm in him now and he is in me. That's why I'm good. That's why I have gifts. That's why I have things that can be good. That's why I can think good thoughts about me because I have good thoughts about him. That's who I am. My life is in him. So when I look at me, I look at him and I say, that's good. And when we say the opposite, that that's not good. When we look at ourselves and we are hard on ourselves Because aren't we the harshest judges of ourselves? Even harder than everybody else around us. Even harder than our parents or other people around us. We're worse to ourselves. We're our worst enemy. We're our harshest critic. And when we look at true humility, that shouldn't be the case. Why would you want to be down on yourself if you're in Christ? Why would you want to be down on yourself in who he created you to be? Why would you want to be down on that? Because every time we say something bad about that, every time we say something bad about ourselves, what are we saying about the one who made us? Okay, If they gave that example a few months ago about the painter, right? So if you remember, I gave you that example. So if you look at a painting on the wall and you said, that's the worst painting I've ever seen. That's a piece of junk. Like, who would have painted that? And you were to think, what does the artist think when you say that? Like, he'd be really upset right because that's a reflection of him but that's exactly what happens when we do that to ourselves and we say those things about ourselves what does that say about god who is our creator what does it say about who made us and i like to have the saying god don't make junk he doesn't make junk he's not that kind of creator i think he's better than that right sin marred us sin changed us but god recreated us in christ as a new creation and that recreation is good we need to view ourselves the way that he does we need to be a good reflection of who our creator is so when we look at ourselves we need to have true humility which is from true security i'm good who i am in christ so I remember um, the Lord was kind of speaking to me about this and I was uh, in my one of my small groups at my previous church and the small I wasn't leading the small group so the leader of the small group uh, decided to do this little practice that he wanted to do every week okay so we all took turns so basically everybody uh, would take a turn and when it was your turn you're supposed to share your testimony okay so we're kind of just getting to know each other and what a good way is like just share your testimony like share how you come to know the lord okay so week after week he would call on somebody and it'd be their turn to share a testimony okay but he started having this practice right so before they would share their testimony the leader would say so and so like today is joe's turn to share his testimony and say joe you are amazing Right, Joe's just so incredible. Like, his heart for God is so amazing, and his servant heart and his attitude that he has. You're just so amazing, so incredible, right? And so, it's funny. I started noticing a pattern, right? So, every week, we'd have somebody, and it's their turn to share, right? And every week, the leader would say all of these glowing things about this person, right? And then, what would the, I would look over that person, and they'd be looking like this. The whole time, they could not look up. They're like looking at the floor the whole time, right? So the person's saying all these great things, and the person's like this, right? And sometimes their eyes are closed or are looking at the floor, looking at their feet, whatever. And then I was wondering, do you think this person is receiving anything of what this person is saying? If you've ever been in that situation and you felt like that, do you receive anything that the, this person is saying? saying i don't think so i don't think so right so okay so fast forward my turn comes right so i know he's going to call on me and then he's going to say all these things so i said okay it's my turn now i'm going to fully receive what he says so i'm going to look him straight in the eye and just receive the things he says okay so he's talking and then i'm looking at his eye and then he gets uncomfortable. He starts looking down. <laughs> he's not used to someone looking at him when people are, he's talking, right? But I fully try to receive what he says, right? When in the past I would never do that. Okay, so in the past I would give a message or teach a Bible study, people would come up to me after and say, "Oh, that pastor, that was such a great message." Da, da, da. And I would do the false humility thing. No, no, no. That was that was nothing, or I'm nothing, or whatever I would say, right? That was my natural reaction. So I'm like. I need to change this, but I don't know how to change this. I, I only know that other way, the false humility way, right? So then the Lord started speaking to me. He's like, who they're saying, what they're saying about you is describing who you are in Christ. And I was like, yes, that's good. So when they would say those things to me, I would say, thank you, Lord. I'd say thank you to them, and I would say thank you, Lord. Thank you for affirming who I am in you, because this is you. This is you that's coming out. This is how the Holy Spirit wants to work in me using my gifts. This is how you created me. This is how you recreated me. This is who I am with in Christ. This is who Christ is in me. When I'm living that out, shouldn't you expect good fruit to come out? When you're living Christ's life, shouldn't you expect fruit to come out? Shouldn't you expect people to get blessed? Shouldn't you ex- expect them to receive from that and to thank you and to say things about it? Shouldn't that be the expectation? It's not that you require that or you say you have to come and praise me, but when you get it, receive it. And it's not a prideful thing. That's where it's really important to know where identity comes from. Because if it's from ourselves, then that's pride. If you're looking at who you are self, who you are apart from God, what you can do apart from him, all you can do with your own strength and your own trying and your own discipline and education and experience and training, and you depend upon that, and that's what you're doing, and then you get praise, that leads to pride. But if it's who you are in Christ, if it's what the Holy Spirit chooses to do in and through you, you can receive it and it's not prideful. It's not because you know that didn't come from me. That's from Jesus. That's who I am in Jesus. We need to have that straight. We need to understand that because we'll be fearful of this whole pride thing. Right? We need to have the right view of humility. Okay? Because we have the wrong view of humility. Even we'll say things like, man, I went through this hard thing and God really humbled me. You ever said that? God really humbled me through the situation. Where, did, where is that coming from? That's coming from the false humility, right? That God needs to beat me down into the ground, right? And then I'll be humble. He brought me to my knees and then I'll be humble, okay? There's some truth in that if we're prideful that he needs to get remove that pride. But that's not really what, he, that's not the point of humility, right? That's not the whole point. Look at this passage. Okay, so it talks about here, Jesus being found in appearance as man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Look at the next verses. For this reason, for this reason, because he humbled himself, for that reason, he God exalted him and bestowed him on the name which is above every name, so at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And that's what happens. Jesus humbled himself, because he didn't need to look after his own interests. He could be a servant, and to be such a servant that he would do that on the cross and be obedient to the point of death. What's the result? God exalted him to the highest place. Gave him the name above every name. That every name would bow to the name of Jesus. And not to say that we're going to be the name above every name. That's not true. But this is also true for us. You might be think, I don't know about that, Sam. That seems just like for Jesus. Look at these passages. Matthew twenty-three, twelve. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled... But for those who humble themselves will be what? Exalted. Look at James 4.10. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. What is the result of, of humbling yourself? It's God will bring you up. The purpose of humility is not to bring you down, it's to bring you up. The humility, it really is not the point of to bring you down because if you think that that's the purpose of humility you'll never engage being humble it'll always have to be forced upon you it'll always have to come through circumstances it'll always have to come through difficulties that you relinquish control that you stopped trusting in yourself that's the way humility has to come if you think of that old way you have to think this new way the biblical way of humility that, that that's not true the purpose of humility is so god can lift you up the reason he wants you to be humble is because you can't lift yourself high enough for the Lord's pleasure. You can't lift yourself high enough to where he wants. That's why he wants you to be humble, to let go of control, It's to allow him to do it because you can't lift yourself high enough. That's the purpose of humility is let go. You don't need to keep looking at your own interests and trying to serve yourself and to try to seek after yourself and to try to do those things. You can let the Lord do that and when you do he will lift you up. He will exalt you. He'll take you to the place that you can't go on your own. You can't your arms are too short. You can't lift yourself high enough. Look at the calling the Lord has on our lives. That he calls us to be ambassadors. That he calls us to be one with Christ. He calls us to be fellow heirs with Jesus. That's a high calling. You can't do that. You can't, no matter how hard you work, you can't go up to that standard. You can't meet that kind of high calling he has on your life. Only he can do that. And how does that happen? Through humility. It's through humility. Being secure in who you are. Knowing you have a father. This is Father's Day. Knowing you have a father who loves you, who takes care of you. You don't have to keep striving after yourself. You don't have to keep striving after your own interest. You don't have to keep striving to make yourself feel secure. You don't have to keep striving to try to fix things around you. Let your heavenly Father do that. That's humility. It's allowing that to come out, allowing that because you feel secure in who you are, not thinking less of yourself, not thinking you're nothing and feeling insecure where you have to keep control all the time. We need to have a shift in our mindset because if we don't, We can't follow this example that Paul is giving with Jesus. We can't have that example of Jesus being humble and allowing the Father to raise him up instead of him having to raise himself up. And unfortunately, that's what we have if we have this wrong idea. We can only lift ourselves up, right? And that's tiring, right? And it's not successful. And then you end up getting bitter and angry at, at yourself and a lot of people because they're not recognizing you they're not showing appreciation to you they're not seeing you for who for God made you to be and you get angry and you get frustrated and you get depressed that's the false humility right we need to have true humility see yourself the way that God sees you see yourself the way that God created you and that person's good God doesn't make junk you know we have to see it and then we'll see that the way down way up is is the way down, right? That's the way to go up. So as we close, I really wanted to encourage you to do that. And as we close, I really wanted to emphasize on this Father's Day kind of what I led off with, which is we have a Father who loves us. And all he really wants is our heart. And so as we pray, let's focus in on that. So Father, we want to recognize you this day. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help shift our mind and our thinking because we've experienced some bad theology and some bad ideas of what humility is all about. You don't want to pummel us. You don't want to bring us down. You actually want to lift us up higher than we could lift ourselves up. And so I pray that you'd give us courage to be able to receive from you, to honor you, to worship you, to bow down to you, to see like wow, you're for me. You're with me. You want to lift me higher than I could lift myself up. So give me the courage to let go, to give you control, to let you be the good, good father that you are. So I pray that you would give us that courage. Holy Spirit, keep reminding us when we want to have that self-condemning attitude toward us that, that that's not true. That's not true of who we are. That's not true. That's not the way Jesus saw himself. And that's not the way we should view ourselves. So I pray that you would help to renew our minds and to help us to experience that. In Jesus' name, amen.